thought that we, uh, we needed three mics this morning, so hopefully you guys are good at sharing. Okay, okay. Yeah, so it's a privilege to have Liz and Juan Carlos here this morning. If you haven't met them yet, um, I'm going to let you guys explain a little bit, but you guys are really special to our church, and um, we have a legacy of partnering with what your family's been doing for generations in different ways. Um, and man, yeah, I'm excited to have you guys here. But tell us a little bit about yourselves. Okay. Um, good morning. Good morning, everybody. It's uh, very nice to be here today. And for those that don't know us, uh, her name is Elizabeth. And my name is Juan Carlos. I am a Guatemalan, and she's actually from Canada. So, but she's been living in, in, in Guatemala for 20-some years. So, uh, yeah, we've been married for almost 19, I mean, almost 20. We've been married for 19 years, and we have two boys that they're with us here today, Andrew and Matthew, and they're 16 and 12. And, um, well, we've been in, in ministry for a long time as well, but uh, 12 years ago, the Lord calls us to start the school uh, for unprivileged children, and that's what we We've been doing since then. We have uh, 170 kids in that school now. And we also, uh, praise the Lord. And we also have a church uh, in the same location. We've been seven years with the church. and So that's what we do. Uh, we have two dogs. Two, they're a pain, but. <laughs> yeah, so that's, that's. Awesome. Yeah, so tell us a little bit more about. Um, where you're serving, what's the area like, uh, what's the ministry like, what was the need that led you to go, okay, God's calling us to start something here, what have been some of the adventures along the way with that? Um, good morning, everyone. We're so glad to be here. So good to see all of you. Um, we, we work in the area of, um, in Guatemala and Santa Catarina, Bobadilla, which is close to Antigua. Uh, the Lord, I think, put it on our hearts to start a ministry there because we just saw the great need uh, for education uh, and discipleship. Um, there's uh, just so, so much poverty in Guatemala, so much need. Uh, the school system, uh, public school system, there's just very poor. Uh, and uh, God just put it on our hearts to start a school that would make a difference. And, and what better way to disciple kids than to have them uh, so many hours of a day. And um, we're excited to work in the, the communities around. We work in five different communities uh, and have kids from those communities come. So we, we don't just see it like a school, but also like a, a center uh, for, um, for helping people. They come from all different villages and communities around us. Awesome. One of the things that stood out to me, because I got lunch with you guys, so I know a little bit I've caught up a little bit already. One of the things that stood out to me was that you felt called to start this school to help with education in a practical, a very practical need, but to do that to disciple these kids. And since it started in 2012, you started to disciple the kids, and some of them have come to faith and started following Jesus. Yeah. But not only that, then their parents have come to faith and started following Jesus. And then... There was a need for a church in your area for these families. So then you had to start a church. You weren't like, oh, I just want to start a church. You're like, we have to start a church because there's these families that want to follow Jesus together as a church community. They need a church. And so it's just been amazing to see some of the fruit of that happening. Um, so what do you guys love about your work? What have been some of the exciting things that have happened, some of the things that really encourage you? 
Well, one of the things that I, oh, we, we, we love to disciple, that's the heart of Jesus, too, we believe. And we, we love to see people growing, and not just to end the relationship with the Lord, but in every area of their lives. And that's, that's what drives us to, uh, to, to do that. But one of the things is that, I think five years ago, more or less, my brother-in-law, he, he wasn't a believer, and he started coming to church, and he uh, accepted the Lord, and he was transformed. He's, he's uh, in the church serving. He's been since the beginning. He loves the Word. I believe the Lord is calling him to become a pastor, too. Uh, but it's been great being able to disciple him and training him. He's going to help me preach now that I'm gone. He's going to preach for the first time in the church. So I've been training him to become uh, the preacher, and it's been really fun to see him growing and how God is going to work in his life too. Uh, yeah, so that's, that's what we love to see, how God brings people. He believes in us the same way he believed in Paul when, when say, well, Paul is going to be useful for ministry. He believes in us, and we praise the Lord for that. Yeah. That's amazing. How's it been the last couple of years, especially through COVID, serving the kids and their families? Um, well, like everywhere, it's been a challenge uh, for us, but we are grateful that this year we had all of our kids uh, in school 100% of the time. Last year, we still had preschool part-time. But because of that, we also realized we needed more classrooms. So God provided, and we were able to build another classroom in our current location. Uh, of course, uh, Juan Carlos is going to talk a little bit about our, our future plans for building a, an actual school building. But um, even though it was a challenge, uh, the government had a lot of restrictions for our kids. Uh, most of the kids were actually closed inside of their homes for six months, and they couldn't go out. And uh, as, our, as you know, uh, probably our, our kids are very, come from very poor situations. They don't have a big house or a yard, so they were in a very small little room for a long time. But... Um, through all that, God is, God is still working. He was still working, and um, our kids are doing well now. Uh, a lot of them were behind a little bit, but I'm really thankful that God allowed us as a school to continue to be able to give classes when so many other schools weren't able to. Uh, in Guatemala in general, the, the students only came back to school in February of this year, and so our school was one of the two schools in the area that actually were able to have classes. So that made a big difference in the lives of the students and their families too. And I love how you slipped in there. Oh, we needed another classroom and God provided. Yeah. And the story behind that is that another church that partners with you, a church down in Oregon, heard about your need for another classroom. And they went and they fundraised and they flew down a team and they built the classroom for you, right? Yeah. 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 That's how God provided. So I just want to say that was pretty cool. That was some of those things where I was like, that's exciting. I'd love for our church to be able to be a part of supporting ministries around the world in that way again. Um, and then, yeah, every ministry has its thorns and thistles, its challenges. And what are some of the difficult parts about ministry in your context? Um, well, we, um, Antigua um, in the, is a center for um, a lot of, it's a very religious center, but in terms of, um, our, you know, people that are religious, but they, took, they take um, 
their tradition above the word of God. And so they believe in God, but they don't believe in Jesus Christ. So that's a challenge for us because we're always sharing the, the need uh, for a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, but many people think they already know God. And so that's always a challenge for us. But also our students come from very broken families, very difficult situations. There's a lot of alcoholism. Uh, we have single parent families. We have orphans in the school. Um, and just a lot of need. Um, Guatemala is also uh, number one for um, the Western Hemisphere in child malnutrition and number four in the world. So uh, we see, just see a lot of need, a lot of brokenness, and so it's very difficult for us sometimes. Uh, we do what we can, but sometimes we feel like we're not doing enough. So the Lord has uh, allowed us to have a nutrition program where we're able to feed the kids every day at school. But, uh, and we also visit families in need and, and give out food baskets. We work a lot in the community as well. We've built 240 fuel-efficient stoves. And, uh, and some water filters. So there's a lot of ways that we are helping the community, but sometimes it breaks our heart to see all the need around us. Wow, yeah, that, it's, I just imagine it being really difficult serving in a place with overwhelming need where you can see it around you. Because like I, I had the opportunity to visit Guatemala in 2012 myself, and you can visibly see malnutrition, the impact of that, and you're just like, it's overwhelming. So it's amazing you guys choose to continue to serve in that context when it can be a lot to take on. We appreciate that. Looking to the future, uh, where do you see God leading uh, the school and the church? Yeah, um, again, the, our heart is in discipleship, and we, we would like to see um, this discipleship program growing even more. And already we, we get excited about this because we've seen that our kids that graduated from the school, they're actually working in their churches, they're assisting the church, they're helping in the church. Um, we have like maybe three, well five, five kids serving in our church in different areas. We can see how the discipleship program, if you want to call it, actually works. You know, it hasn't been just a plan and an idea. It's actually the Lord being working in the life of these kids that are becoming now even spiritual leaders in their churches and in their communities. So we would like to see this uh, even grow more, you know, discipleship and the church as well. We are working on getting elders. I, they're not officially elders, but I know who they are. And we've been working for months now trying to train people and... and um, so become the elders and, and prepare to uh, grow a little bit in the church too. But also we have the plan of the new building. We currently rent and the Lord has been good to us. But we, where we are, there's, these are houses that we make into a school. Uh, so it's kind of challenging to have the small bedrooms uh, become classrooms. So, and the church just meets under a roof. We don't have any walls, which is fine, but eventually we would like to see the building. We already have a piece of land. We submitted um, the review plans before we came, and we're waiting for the building permits to come. Um, so it might take a month, two months. That is not in our hands anymore, and is in, the, in God's hands and the county. Uh, so, um, we would like to see the building coming along. We, we want to start with phase one, which is the, pretty much the school building. And, and we have about 30% uh, of the money that we need 
So the Lord's been good to us, to surprising us with 30% of the money that we need for phase one. But of course, we, we also need to, to get the rest. And uh, so we would like to see that eventually, to have a place um, where people can come. They, in fact, they come to the door now and knock and they say, we, we know that you give out food here and we're in need. And, and we happily say, yeah, just take what you need. And, and it's been becoming that. The name of our nonprofit in Guatemala, Light of the World Christian School, is the school name, but our nonprofit, it's translated, will be Lighthouse. And that's exactly that we want to be for people, Lighthouse, where they can come for help. They can find Jesus. They can find help for their uh, spiritual needs and physical needs. Uh, so to have the proper building for that will be great. That would be amazing. Yeah, that, well, and it sounds like the, like right now you have 170 kids. You're building classrooms as you go, and this would give you capacity for 250, right? And a little bit more space for the church to meet, too, because right now the church is meeting. Um, you think that sometimes it's a little loud if we meet on the lawn over here and there's a road next to us? You guys are meeting next to a highway, between a building and a highway, with a roof over your head but no walls. So you have to preach really loud, I'm sure, I'm sure. Uh, so that would be, I'm looking forward to seeing how God provides for that, what God does in your ministry. What are some ways right now that we can support you guys and support what God's doing in Antigua? Or what's the neighborhood specifically again? Santa Catarina. Santa Catarina, there we go. Well, we, first of all, we just want to say thank you to this church um, and all of you who have been a part of the school ministry and the journey that God's taken us on for uh, over 12 years. Um, we appreciate all of you, and we just want to continue to encourage you to um, if, you know, read the newsletters and see what God's doing and continue to pray for us. We, we really need your prayers, and we appreciate your prayers. Uh, we have a need for more sponsors and um, also our building project. And if you'd like more information after, we're going to be outside. We'd love to answer questions. But thank you so much. Amazing. Thank you guys so much for sharing. I'd love to pray for you right now. I'm going to invite the whole congregation. Let's stand together and pray. And if you're someone that likes to kind of put yourself in a posture of prayer, then you can just hold out your hand as we pray for Liz and Juan Carlos. We pray for the families and their community. Let's pray together. God, we are so thankful for your leading, that you helped Liz and Juan Carlos to see the need in this community that you had called them to serve, that you equipped them even when they weren't feeling ready for it. Juan Carlos did not want to be a pastor, he did not plan to be a pastor, but you called him and you have blessed him and you're building a team around him. And we pray that you would be so present and active in this community in this ministry, that you would be building up a strong church and strong leaders, that you'd be multiplying the ministry, that it wouldn't just be Liz and Juan Carlos leading, but they would find themselves surrounded by a team of leaders, that you've worked in their hearts and you matured them, and there would be disciples making more disciples, making more disciples. Uh, we pray specifically in this community as so many people feel that they already know God, but they don't actually know you. They just know a tradition. We pray that you would help them to meet you personally, to experience your love and your life and the way that you can transform a heart and the way that you work with us and through us. And we pray that you would help to meet the needs here as there's overwhelming physical needs um, and we see the effects 
of poverty. I pray that you would help provide for that and that it wouldn't just be a gift of money, but it would be a gift of relationship, a gift of prayer, a gift of investment in the individual humans living in this community. I pray that you'd help us as a church to see what opportunities you're giving us, what you're calling us to step into to support this ministry. In your name, amen. All right, thank you guys so much. All right, I gotta change gears a little bit here. We are switching to the message now, and we are on week three, our final week of our series called I Need. And our series I Need is a series on our hearts and money, because our hearts and money go very, very closely together. And this final message is called I Need to Be Generous which it fit with the title of the series, where it's like the series is called I Need, so I need to pay rent, I need to trust, I need to be generous. But if we're honest, we often think of generosity as kind of the icing on the cake, the bonus. You're like, I need to pay rent. It'd be nice to um, have a car that I trust to get me to work. It'd be nice to have a comfortable house. It would be nice to eat out occasionally. And then if I have some money left, then I should think about being generous. Like that's how we work, right? But what's interesting is when we actually look at the teachings of Jesus, he makes it really clear that generosity isn't icing on the cake. It's not a bonus. It's actually a need. And so this morning we're going to spend a bit of time talking about this, processing this, and seeing what God wants to speak to us through the words of Jesus himself. And as I was preparing this message, I had uh, an experience in my life come to mind around money. And it was one of those things that really made me think about money in my heart. Because how many of you guys have ever rented a house or an apartment? A lot of you guys have rented. A lot of you guys probably are still renting. If you're my age in this market, there's a good chance you're still renting. But I'm used to renting houses, and it's always, it's, it just is what it is. But you put down your damage deposit. If you make the mistake of getting a dog like we did and like you guys have, then you have to put down a pet deposit too. And eventually you get to the point of moving out of the house. And you start to look around and you go, did we damage the house? Did our pet wreck anything? And when we were moving out of our last house, we were looking around and we are like, we're good. It's great. And we go to move out, and we start to notice that the landlord is starting to change what they're saying, and they're starting to try to say that things that were broken when we moved in, we broke. And they're starting to get, bit, they're starting to get quotes for these window, like these blinds, like they had these like plastic blinds and they were like the cheapest, cheapest ones. So like the sunlight hits them for five years and you look at them and they like crumble. And we're like, ah, maybe they'll charge us to replace the blinds. But instead they start getting quotes for not replacement blinds, but for like thousands of dollar window cover, like the nicest of the nice things. 
and we start to realize that, well, they own this house that in the last five years has gone up about $500,000 in value. So they've been making about $100,000 a year on this house. And they've also been getting our rent every month. That they really have our eye, their eyes on our damage deposit and somehow the pet deposit, even though none of this had to do with what the pet did. And, and it's one of those situations that happens in life. And you want to just be like, oh, it's just happening, whatever. But every time, I'd be having good days, and then I'd get a text from the landlord, and suddenly I would be having a bad day. I'd be having a good evening, and then Morgan or I, my wife or I, would mention something about the situation, and I'd find myself going to bed and tossing and turning with just a lot of emotions, and not good ones. A lot of anger, a lot of frustration, about the injustice of this and how frustrating it was and that really it was becoming clear that if we were ever going to get our damage deposit back, these thousands of dollars that we actually needed because at the time I'd been between jobs for a while and I was moving to get to a new job, but I kind of needed money right now that if I was gonna get that, I was gonna have to take them to arbitration. And I was upset a lot. And eventually there's a point where I think it was Morgan was kind of like, Michael, this isn't good for us. Because our hearts were where our money was at. And so when they were messing around with our money, they were messing around with our hearts and our lives. And we felt controlled, we felt manipulated, and we felt hurt. And we realized the only way out of this, really, like we go to arbitration, they did some things where we were like, we could get a lot of money out of you guys. It was tempting. Trust me, it was tempting. But we realized the only way out of this was to actually give the money away and say, you know what? This is wrong. This is unjust. This is a little illegal. But we can't hold on to this because we need to be generous. And that's not the type of generosity you look forward to. You want to be generous and like give people Christmas presents. But we realized this was the generosity that we needed. And so I want us to spend some time wrestling with what generosity really means and what that looks like in our lives. Because if you, like, if you remember when you got your first job and you started making money and maybe you lived at home, maybe you're one, like some of us, we got our first job because our family needed us to help them pay the bills. But a lot of times you get your first job and you don't really have any bills and you're just saving up this money for something, whether it's your first car or there's a girl that you like and you want to take her on a nice date or whatever it is. Or, you're, or like me, I was like always saving up to buy bike stuff because I really like riding bikes, you know? But when you start making money, you start dreaming about what you're going to do with that money, right? You start having dreams about that money. But right now, I want you to think about if you were 10 years old, when you were 10 years old, if you had just been given $10,000, what would you have spent that $10,000 on? What would 10-year-old you have been like, this is my dream to spend $10,000 on? And I'm going to be really annoyed. I'm going to make you be a little extroverted and ask somebody next to you, what would you have spent $10,000 on when you were 10 years old? All right, take a second to ask somebody that.
All right, all right. I'm feeling a little left out of this conversation. What were some of the things? Does anybody want to share what they would have spent $10,000 on when they were 10 years old? A what? Lego. Lego. Oh, yes. Ten. That would buy you like five sets. That would be awesome. <laughs> yeah. What about you, Brady? Sorry, I couldn't quite catch that. That's amazing. At 13, you're working in a factory, and if I heard you correctly, you bought an album, right? That's great. What's one more thing that somebody would spend 10,000? Well, this guy's not even 10 yet. He's nine, but what would you spend $10,000 on, Felix? Transformers. Okay, okay. Long live Transformers. Those were a thing when I was a kid. Oh, man. They keep sticking around. Okay, I'm going to ask you a more serious question. I'm not going to make you share this with your neighbor unless you really want to. But if you were just given $10,000 right now, what are, like, what would you just want, what are the first things that you think of that you would spend that money on? If you're given $10,000 right now, Right? It's on bills. And if it were me, I was like, what would I do that? And I was like, well, right now I'm working on like trying to replace one of my cars because one of them's getting a little iffy. So I try to get like a reliable, somewhat comfortable family vehicle. And then I would want to spend a little bit of money, not too much money, but a little bit of money on mountain bike stuff because I like mountain biking and riding my bike by myself in the woods. Um, and then probably try to put a lot of that money towards housing because I'm renting and I'd like to not always be renting. But when we think about that question, we start to see what our dreams are. Where it's like, okay, I dream about a car that gets me from point A to point B. I dream about mountain biking a lot. I dream a little bit about owning a house. And there's different great things we dream about. When we think about $10,000, you might be like, I have a dream about my, I have a dream vacation. This, the greatest vacation I could ever go on. It'd be on the Italian Riviera. We would eat pizza and drink good wine all the time. That's my dream. Just so you know, if you ever want to buy me a vacation. Um, some of us though, maybe our great dream is that we I've had moments in our life where we went to open the cupboard and there wasn't enough food in there. And so we dream of building a pantry in our house that looks almost like a grocery store where there's like 10 cans of everything, you know? And we have these different great dreams. Or maybe your dream is that when you retire, you're able to actually travel to other countries and serve with the whatever skill set you have. If you're in the trades, that you'd be able to go and build houses. If you're a doctor, that you'd be able to go and provide medical help. If you're in business, maybe that you'd be able to help people start small businesses. Maybe you have a dream like that. Or maybe you even have a dream every time Christmas comes around, you're like, I w wish that I had enough money that I could buy Christmas gifts for families that don't have presents under the tree this year. We all have all these great dreams. And money brings out our dreams. Money helps us see what's going on inside of our heart and where, what we want to do with our lives. If you're given $10,000, you take a step with that towards whatever 
matters to you most in life, right? And the thing is, with money is money, where money is going is where our life is going. Where your money is going is where your life is going. So if your money is going towards your house and your car and your mountain bike, that's where your life is kind of going. If your money is going towards buying Lego, that's where your life is going. But when you think about where you put your money, it tells you a bit about where your life is going to go. And it brings out our dreams. And that kind of brings us to an interesting passage in Mark chapter 12, verses 41 to 44. Because this passage is kind of a confusing one. If you're a reasonable person that understands math and money, this passage should confuse you a little bit. I put a sticky note right over the passage itself. I don't know what I was doing. In Mark chapter 12, starting at verse 41, this is when Jesus was on earth 2,000 years ago. And Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple. And so this was the donation box in the place of worship, kind of like the donation boxes in the back of our auditorium here. But we didn't have, they didn't have sneaky envelopes, and it was a little bit more obvious what you were doing here. So Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple and watched as the crowds dropped in their money. Many rich people put in large amounts. Great. We're getting lots of money for the temple, right? And then a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. And you just imagine somebody just dropping in a loony and a toony. It goes clunk, clunk. And Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions. So Jesus was a good religious leader, but he didn't know math? I don't think so. For they gave a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she had to live on. And why is Jesus pointing this out? Why is he not just going, man, everybody should get a better job so they can give more money to get more done? Why is he actually going, the most generosity, the person who's giving the most is actually the person who's giving the least, but it means something different to them. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, Jesus said, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. And we often think that God needs our money and that God's worried about how much money we give. And you hear sermons at church about, well, we need to give money to make our budget or whatever the message is. We need money to do this and money to do that. And we constantly find ourselves going, God needs more of our money. But that's not really what he needs. Because there's a point a few thousand years before Jesus made this observation where the whole nation of Israel was enslaved by the Egyptians. There are thousands and thousands of people, slaves in the nation of Egypt. And God said, I want to free you from slavery and to bring you to a new land where you can live in freedom. Great news, right? 
but I don't have the money to buy enough food for you, so you guys are going to starve to death on your way there, so I guess you can't go. I guess I'll cancel the plans to free you because you're going to starve to death and on the way to this new land. Maybe you guys should get better jobs as slaves. I don't know how this works. Maybe you should fundraise. I don't know. No. He's like, I have a plan to free you and lead you to freedom here. We're going to have... So on the way, you're literally going to wake up in the morning and there's going to be food on the ground called manna. Is it going to be good? Eh, it's going to be okay. But it's going to be food. Because I can make it happen. Because when I have a plan, I can make it happen. And resources aren't really a problem here. In the same way, Jesus himself, he was giving a really long sermon. Like imagine if my sermon this morning was really, really good. And it just kept going. And we're getting to like 3 o'clock and you're a little hangry. We get to 6 o'clock and you're like, the sermon's good, but also I think I'm going to pass out if I don't get something to eat. Jesus was that good of a preacher. I'm not. But there's these people that showed up probably in the morning. They're like, oh, I'll listen to them for a little bit, and then I'll go home for lunch. And they get to the, near the end of the day, and they are starving, hungry. And, and it's like, do we send these people home, or do we feed them? And Jesus is like, I can multiply one person. There's one kid that thought ahead and was like, I'm in. I know I'm going to be here all day. It's going to be good. He brought lunch. He had faith in Jesus being a good speaker, right? Anyways. He, had, he multiplied this one kid's lunch to feed thousands and thousands of people. And yet, we again go, oh, God needs my money. The God of the universe that we believe spoke the entire world into existence, every resource, every diamond, every bit of gold in this universe he spoke into existence, we believe that he needs our money. That he's like, oh yeah, I need that. No. We get generosity all wrong all the time. He doesn't need our money. He needs our heart. When he's watching these people give, he's watching the rich people give from their surplus, and he's like, you're giving so much money, but it's from your surplus. It's not touching your heart. You're giving me none of your heart and all of your money. I don't want it. Like, we'll take it, but don't, like, hey, give all the money you want. No. Uh, but then he sees this widow, and she gives so little money, but she's giving all of her heart. He's like, that's the generosity I need. Because our hearts follow our money. Our lives follow our money. And God calls us to be followers of him. But the key to our lives, the key to our hearts is our wallet. And where our money goes is where our heart goes. And so if our money is going this way and God is going this way, where are we going to go? We're going to go after our money. There's a really challenging passage this is a passage I honestly try to avoid as much as possible because I don't, and every time I read it, I don't like it. So just brace yourselves a little bit here. But Matthew chapter 19, starting at verse 16. 
a young man asked a really honest question. Someone came to Jesus with this question. Teacher, what good deed must I do to inherit eternal life, have eternal life? What must I do to have eternal life? If you're a pastor, you get asked this all the time. If you're a religious leader, people ask you this all the time. They're like, oh, this again. Like, this is why I do the job, but also this again. And Jesus starts by, why ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, there's only one good thing. One of those useless answers. And he's like, okay, but to actually answer your question, if you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. At this point, the religious leaders had created hundreds of commandments. And so it's a reasonable question to be like, which ones? Like, which of the hundreds of commandments do I need to follow? And Jesus points back to the Ten Commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Honor your father and mother. Love your neighbors as yourself. This young man says, I've obeyed all these commandments. What else must I do? Is there anything else I need to do? And Jesus told him, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And every time we read this, we go, okay, that guy was really rich. He needed to sell his possessions and give it to the poor. I am the poor. I should get his possessions, right? That's what we try to tell ourselves. But it's really interesting because Jesus says, do this and then come and follow me. When Jesus called his first followers, his 12 disciples, many of those stories, he said, it's like he walked up to them while they were doing their job fishing. And he said, come follow me. Leave your business behind. Come follow me. When Jesus calls us to follow him, he says, leave what's pulling you away from me behind and come follow me. Give away whatever is keeping you from following me and then follow me. You need to be generous, and then you can follow me. That's a really hard thing to hear. But if this is a key to your heart, this is what shapes where your life goes, if you're like, I'm going to keep doing what I want with this, you can never actually follow Jesus. Until you're generous, you can never follow Jesus. Until you can give away what's shaping your heart, what's shaping your dreams. Because if I gave you $10,000 right now, we would see what your dreams are. But if your dreams are all about you, if your dreams are just formed by your needs and your comfort, then you're going to find yourself spending your money on your dreams and your comfort, and you're going to find yourself following yourself. You're going to be following your heart. And that's going to lead exactly there. But if you want to follow Jesus, you need different dreams. You need dreams bigger than just what's about you. You need dreams about God's kingdom. You need dreams of what God can do in this world. You need dreams of God starting a church in Guatemala. Well, starting a school in Guatemala that gives an education, but also gives an opportunity to know Jesus. 
and seeing kids start following Jesus, and then their parents start following Jesus, and then they need a church. And so then he starts a church, and a dream of that church growing, and then the pastor creating more pastors and leaders in that church. We need dreams that size, not dreams of, I'm going to buy... I'm going to spend some money on my mountain bike and maybe own a house someday and get a minivan. If that's where your dreams are at, that's all that's going to happen in your life and you're going to miss out on actually getting to follow Jesus. And without generosity, we say, I want to follow Jesus and we hit a roadblock. This passage continues on. Because Jesus said, if you want to be perfect, go and sell your possession and give the money to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. But when the young man heard this, he went away sad for he had many possessions. And Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, if we're honest as humans, it's impossible. But with God, everything is possible. Oh, I skipped a section. The disciples were astounded. The disciples said, then who in the world can be saved? And then Jesus said, humanly speaking, it's impossible, but with God, everything is possible. And Peter said to him, we've given up everything to follow you. One of his disciples said, I gave up everything. I gave up my whole business. I was investing in this. I had the boat. I had the nets. It's not cheap. I gave up everything to follow you. And Jesus replied, I assure you that the wind... Man, this is a... I'm getting lost here for a second. Okay. I skipped way down here. So if we jump back to verse 23, Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. I'll say it again, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And if you need an image, I could hold up a needle and you wouldn't even be able to see it. And the eye of the needle would be smaller than that. If we had a camel up on stage, I could hide behind it. A camel does not fit through the eye of a needle. Very, very physically impossible. And God said, being generous in the way that you need to be generous to follow me is impossible. It's like trying to fit through the eye of a needle. It's just not going to happen. But with God, everything is possible. And so these disciples that gave up everything to follow Jesus, they didn't do that because as humans, they were like, I can just be this generous. They did that because when Jesus spoke to them, God worked in their life and changed them. If this rich man wanted to be generous, he couldn't just do it through human effort. Through human effort, he might follow most of the rules and the laws. He might be able to be like, I followed all the laws. Am I going to be saved? And Jesus said, no, you need God to work in your heart and transform you. And so when we are given this challenge of real generosity, not once I pay my bills and I have a, a good enough standard of living, then from the surplus I'm going to give, but that I want to give so much that I feel it. I want to give in a way that changes where my life goes. When we're generous in that way, that only happens when God transforms us. So I want you to imagine for a second a pie. 
I know what your favorite type of pie is, but imagine a pie, and now you're going to be hungry and wishing that I could multiply some pies for you. But imagine a pie. Maybe even close your eyes and imagine a pie. And now this pie is your budget. And now you're in budget class and you're like, what's going on here, Michael? But you think of the different slices of the pie as being different parts of your budget. How much money you spend on your car and your mortgage or your rent, how much money you spend on food, how much money you spend on clothes, the different things you spend money on, your Netflix subscription, your Spotify subscription. I don't know what you spend money on. I know what I do. Your mountain bike, your other bike. But think about how many, how much of the pie is leading you to just follow your own dreams? How much of that pie are just slices that are trying to fulfill your dreams of you just getting through life? Just surviving and maybe being a little bit comfortable. And how many of those slices of pie reflect God's dreams? God's dreams of bringing peace and healing. God's dream of bringing his kingdom, that his will would be done here on earth as it is in heaven. The poor would be fed. That everyone would have an opportunity to have an education and live a life. That everyone would have an opportunity to actually know and follow Jesus. How many of those slices of pie are about that? Where does that mean that your heart's going? And if you look at that pie and you go, huh, my money is leading my life away from God, away from Jesus. You're going to have a really hard time following Jesus, right? I don't want you to just magically change that on your own. I want you to give that to Jesus and say, God, help me see how I can be generous in a way that leads me as a follower of you. Where do I need to change the size of a slice of pie? Where do I need to cut a new slice or, cut a, or toss a slice out. What does that need to look like for me to be a follower of you? And can you work in my heart to do that? So let's pray together. God, we're here on a Sunday morning because maybe we're just curious about this Jesus thing. Maybe we want to learn about Christianity. And this is a radically different way about think, of thinking of money and thinking of generosity. Or maybe we've been following you our whole lives. Maybe we have been trying to do everything we can to follow you. But as we see with some clarity where our money is going and where that's leading our lives, I pray that if there's any misalignment between what would lead us to follow you, what would lead us to participate in your dreams for humanity, If that we're not aligned with you, that you would work in our hearts and change our hearts, that we'd want to be generous, that we'd want to give the money away, that we'd want to give our time away, that it wouldn't be something that we say, oh, I should and I could. It would be something that you say, I get to. I pray that you would work in our hearts, God. And I pray that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done on this earth, in the city of mission, that we wouldn't drive through our town and see people sleeping outside in this weather, 
while we sleep in our homes, but that your kingdom would come and the homeless would be, have homes. And those in broken families, that there would be restoration and healing, that they would have families where they feel loved and secure. That those without enough food would have food. And those living their lives without Jesus would have an opportunity to actually get to know you. I pray the same thing for Guatemala. I pray that you'd be working in Guatemala. That they would not be known as a place with malnourishment everywhere. It would not be known as a place where people would be born into a life where they can't even get an education to get a job to support their family. It would not be a place where people live their whole lives knowing the name of Jesus, but never, getting, never actually getting to know you. I pray that you would work there. I pray that you would do whatever it takes in our lives, that we would be generous in a way that would help us to participate in it. Because for whatever reason, well, you could do everything without us. You choose to work in humans to do your will. You choose to work through humans to do your will. Because your will is to care for humans. And we want to be a part of that, God. So we offer up our lives. We offer up our time. We offer up our money to you. Amen. All right. Well, it's been a long service. We've packed in a lot. It's been great getting to hear from Liz and Juan Carlos. If you'd like to hear more from them, uh, you have any questions, chat with them in the lobby. They'll be here as long as you keep talking to them. Um, they might not get to eat lunch till 2 in the afternoon. I don't know. And also, it's been a great morning. There's quite a few faces of people that this might be their first, second, third Sunday. So if you see somebody you don't know, be brave, be caring, and say hi to them. Get to know them. Ask them how they're doing. All right. Let's have a great Sunday.